Before smartphones, only a handful of people would have loaded film in their Kodak and taken photos of their food. Today, photographing food has become a societal norm thanks to smartphones and social media. No one turns their head when the person next to them takes a selfie with their turtle cheesecake. The folks at Feedy have capitalized on this first world privilege to help solve a problem in developing nations. Hunger. After downloading the Feedy app, all you have to do is enjoy a meal at a participating Feedy restaurant and use the app to take and share a photo of your meal. The restaurant will then donate the cost of one meal to an organization dedicated to ending worldwide hunger. It really is that simple. Joel would have loved to have the Feedy app in his day. Truth be told, he would have been happy with a flip phone. But had they had smartphones and the app, they still would have been short on food to photograph. Joel and his beloved Judah were facing severe famine as judgment for their sins. God promised an enemy army would soon storm into Judah and leave famine and death in their wake. But that was not the only promise of Joel too. Once Judah repented of their sins and turned back to the Lord, God promised to restore them. But he was not finished. He also promised to pour out his Spirit upon all flesh. And we still live in the glorious glow of that glorious day, as God is still pouring out his Spirit upon all flesh. We do not know how long Feedy will continue to help fill empty stomachs, but until Jesus comes back, he will continue to fill empty souls with his Spirit. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life students. I'm your host, L.J. Harry, and you're listening to the God's Word for Life Companion Podcast, which means... We have a student guide you can follow along as a companion to this podcast and walk along through the scripture with me. And today we are looking at the summer 2021 quarter, lesson nine, and it's dated August 1st, 2021, Life in Hope. And we're going to be taking a look at Joel chapter two, verses 23 to 32. So if you have your companion guide, go ahead and open it up to lesson nine, August 1st, 2021. If you don't have your companion guide, please open up the Word of God, open up the Scriptures to Joel chapter 2, verse number 23. And it reads, Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the, the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And the floor shall be full of wheat, and the fats shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids, in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant 
whom the Lord shall call. So much in those 10 short verses. And we're going to unpack that now in this lesson, which Peter would have really enjoyed teaching this lesson. The first scriptures he quoted on the day of Pentecost are today's focus verses, Joel chapter 2. When he announced, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, Peter reached into the vault of prophecies and singled out Joel's words as central to the New Testament church. It is a spirit-filled church. It's a church in which the work of the Holy Spirit is expressed by men and women, regardless of their social standing. Age is no barrier. Young men see visions. Old men dream dreams. The work of God's Spirit is for whosoever. Acts chapter 2 tells us, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If this greatest work of the Spirit, salvation, is for all, so are all other works of the Spirit. And the waiting believers believe the Spirit would be poured out on all of them, all 120 of them who met in the upper room, apostles, women, Jesus' family, his mothers, his brothers, everyone. So back across Testaments and back to Joel. And back in their day, trouble was on the way. After Joel heard from the Lord, the first to hear about it were the older men. Joel chapter 1 verse 2. Old men would get better news later as the Spirit was poured out on them. Their dreams would be better than the first part of Joel's prophecy. But none of those living in Joel's day, which was probably after Israel's captivity in Babylon, none of them had experienced what was coming, and neither had their ancestors. The trouble coming was so disturbing that those to whom Joel wrote would tell their children about it, and that story they would repeat all the way down to their great-grandchildren. The news talked of insects and drunkards and this strong, innumerable nation with lion-like teeth. Not good news. Disaster was on the horizon for Israel. But why? Nothing in the entire book of Joel gives the whys for these whats. Why was God doing this? But Joel is not alone. Joel is one of the books of the minor prophets. This group of 12 books bound closely together. And Joel has so much in common with the other books that it's actually been called the anchor of the minor prophets. And in the scripture or in the canon of scripture, Joel follows right after Hosea. And in Hosea, there's no question. Everybody knows why God has to judge Israel because the people of Judah and Israel have departed from the Lord. If you read closely Hosea and Joel, there's a clue about the reason for this judgment that's pronounced by Joel. In Hosea, the rebellious people did not realize the Lord provided everything for them, their corn, their wine, their oil. He multiplied their silver and gold. And rather than give thanks to the Lord for all of those blessings, these rebels offered the Lord's gifts to Baal. So as a consequence of God's mercy on Hosea, God promised the corn, the wine, the oil would be restored. Early in Joel, we discover the judgment of the Lord involves those very same agricultural distinctives. Joel cries out, The field is wasted, the land mourneth, the corn is wasted, the new wine is dried up, the oil languisheth. But after the people repent, the Lord beautifully, mercifully, graciously responds, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and you shall be satisfied therewith. God is so gracious. Now, at first glance, this connection may seem just a mere curiosity, but Hosea and Joel are the only two books of the 12 minor prophets that refer to corn, wine, and oil together. So there's an apparent purposeful connection between these two. They're linked together linguistically, so it's no surprise they're next doors to each other in the canon. 
Joel does not need to provide detail for the reason judgment is pending. It's the same reason as in Hosea. The people were in rebellion against the Lord. So let me ask you this. Why do you think the withdrawal or the granting of corn, wine, and oil was an indication of judgment or blessing for ancient Israel? Well, the link between Deuteronomy and the prophets is clear. Again and again, the Hebrew prophets reminded the people of Israel of the judgments Deuteronomy warned on those who rebelled against the Lord. They also reminded Israel of the promised restoration for those who would repent, and Joel is no exception. After Moses hewed two new stone tablets to replace those he broke, he climbed the mountain again, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, Yahweh God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. That's Exodus 34, 6. Israel's rebellion at the foot of Sinai, it was heinous, which is what makes his promise of restoration so remarkable. Joel knew this story, he knew this text, and he appropriated it in his call for fasting and repentance. Joel 2.13, and he says, For he, God, is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Joel quoted what Moses heard. The textual links we see between Joel, Hosea, and Deuteronomy raise the question of whether we should expect such links, which are often referred to as intertextuality. That'll help you win a round in Scrabble. Intertextuality between Joel and other books. And there are other links, of course, such as Joel 3.16 and Amos 1.2, where Joel says, The Lord shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And Amos said, The Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. Those are identical quotes. When we see such precise quotations, paraphrases, allusions in Scripture, we pay attention because Scripture interprets and Scripture applies itself. In Joel and in Amos, Joel's statement continues, the heavens and the earth shake, but the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. And Amos continued, and the habitations of the shepherds shall mourn and the top of Carmel shall wither. Now, the last half of these two verses differ, but we see an evident conceptual similarity in them. Both of them present a disturbance in nature, but only Joel offered hope. The link between Joel and Amos assures us that Amos also offers hope, even though the word hope does not appear in his book, because our God is a God of hope. Joel and Amos are next-door neighbors to each other in Scripture. On the day of Pentecost, Peter quoted from Joel to explain the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And at the first church council in Jerusalem, Acts 15, which was called in response to the teaching that it was necessary to be circumcised and keep Moses' law to be saved, James quoted from Amos to explain the decision made by the apostles who were gathered together and by the elders. After quoting from Amos, James said, Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world, Acts 15, 18. This statement means we can expect to discover the anticipation of New Testament reality and promise that are prophesied in the Old Testament. Here's our hope. There is hope for believers in the most difficult times. If, as in Joel's day, the difficulties are due to our sins, thank God repentance is available. Or if they're due to the actions of others, we still have a promised hope that the Lord himself will be the hope of his people. Can you think of a a specific difficulty when your hope was rewarded by God's answer? Maybe you're going through something very difficult, but God answered and gave you hope. 
Now we turn to a curious phrase that's found 20 times in the Old Testament. The phrase is the day of the Lord. And other terms like just day or that day often in the Old Testament refer to the day of the Lord. Some of these occurrences refer to God's judgment, which was right on the horizon for Israel when they suffered at the hands of the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and others. Other texts reveal it to be the judgment of God on God's enemies, like on Babylon, and in the hands of other nations like the Medes. And yet others connect the day of the Lord with the first or the second comings of Jesus, depending on whether we have Elijah or John the Baptist in view. You can look at Malachi chapter 4 to dig into that. But in the book of Joel, it's somewhat surprising to see the day of the Lord transform from a day of judgment to a day of blessing. First, there's a series of warnings and calls for repentance. We see that in Joel 1.15, 2.1, 2.11, But after repentance, this day is no longer a time only of judgment. It's a time of blessing as the mountains drop down with new wine and the hills flow with milk and the rivers of Judah flow with waters and a fountain comes forth of the house of the Lord. God turns this judgment into blessing because of repentance. What kind of blessing have you experienced in response to repentance? Don't allow people to persuade you that God judges because he is cruel. God's judgment is never motivated by a desire to injure, but to restore. Even when Israel and Jerusalem were completely devastated, which was a consequence of Israel's persistent sin, Scripture declares the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he caused grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he doth not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 31 to 33. That word translating willingly literally means from his heart. The heart of God is not shown in the grief he causes, but it is shown in the mercy he gives. Have you ever thought of God as a harsh judge who enjoys inflicting pain? If so, how did you or how do you recover from that notion, from that picture of God? That many people see God as this cosmic judge, cosmic cop who can't wait to sentence somebody and send them away to see them suffer. But that's not God at all. He doesn't judge because he wants to. He judges because he has to. He's holy. And yet he offers repentance, not really because he has to. He offers repentance because he wants to. This call to repentance we see in Joel chapter 2 is rooted in the idea that the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him? If these things were not true, what would be the point of repentance? In language that would immediately be meaningful to Joel's audience, he declared that upon their repentance, the Lord would respond. And this is what he would say and do. Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and you shall be satisfied. There would be no need to fear, for the enemy would be removed from the land. Instead of fear, gladness and rejoicing. In place of famine, abundant rain. The former, the autumn rain, and the latter, the spring rain, they would produce threshing floors full of wheat. The vats would overflow with wine and oil. There would be plenty Their devoured crops would be restored. There would be plenty to eat. And the repentant would praise the name of the Lord because he has dealt wondrously with them. Joel 2, 25 to 26, twice in two verses, it is said, and maybe you caught this when we were reading the text earlier, my people 
shall never be ashamed. Now, the first blessing God promised on the condition of repentance was agricultural. Why do you think that was important to those who heard Joel's prophecy? The blessings promised upon repentance, they were agricultural, but they were not limited to that. They they went far beyond their farms and fields. Something far beyond this lay in the future for people of faith who were willing to repent of their sins. And it was not material only, it was also spiritual. And Peter recognized this, realized it, and announced it, that the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost was the fulfillment of this part of Joel's prophecy. It was essential, Jesus said, to be in Jerusalem. It was essential, Joel prophesied, they would be in Jerusalem to receive the promise of the Father, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Joel identified Jerusalem as this geographical location, this city, the center of deliverance. It is the same city that was devoured because of their sin. It would be the same city where God would pour out his spirit. And thankfully, though, the outpouring of the spirit would not stop there. The outpouring of God's spirit would spread all over the earth. Just as Jesus commanded, it would go from Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria, and all the way to the uttermost part of the earth. It would go everywhere for everyone. Joel's promise was for everyone. Men, women, young, old, Jew, Gentile, everyone. The promise of Joel, which was fulfilled in Acts, includes all nations. Luke reports on the day of Pentecost, Jews were present from every nation. And Peter continued to quote from Joel, referring to wonders in the heavens and signs in the earth. Rather than splitting Joel's prophecy between events on the day of Pentecost and events at the end of the age, Peter offered the events of Pentecost and the life of Jesus as the fulfillment of Joel. You can see that as you link Joel 2, 28 to 32 with Acts 2, 16 to 22. As Bible scholar F.F. Bruce pointed out, and I quote, It was little more than seven weeks since the people in Jerusalem had indeed seen the sun turned into darkness during the early afternoon of the day of our Lord's crucifixion. And on the same afternoon, the paschal full moon may well have appeared blood red in the sky as a consequence of that preternatural gloom. These were to be understood as tokens of the advent of the day of the Lord, that great and notable day. A day of judgment to be sure, but more immediately, the day of God's salvation to all who invoked his name. End quote. On that day, people asked Peter the question, what shall we do? And Peter answered them with thematic links and direct quotes from the book of Joel. Peter's command to repent summarizes Joel's call to turn to God with all one's heart, with fasting, weeping, mourning, the rending of the heart. Peter's promise of remission of sins captures Joel's promise that God is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and that he relents from doing harm. Peter's command to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ is his answer to Joel's promise that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter's statement that the promise of the Spirit is not only to those present, but also to their children and all who are far off, is at least verbally linked with Joel's multi-generational idea of old and young, all being able to be used by and filled with the Spirit. And the final words of Peter's statement, as many as the Lord our God shall call, are virtually identical to the Septuagint's rendering of Joel 2.32, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Now let's close this out. Can you imagine how the Israelites felt in the days of Joel? When their crops were stripped, their animals were starving, their rivers were dry. Joel says they wept and they howled. No doubt there are many among them who thought there was no hope, that death was certain, it was all over. 
but it wasn't because God was still on the throne. Well, what about you? That was Joel. That was Judah. That was thousands of years ago. But what about you? Have you ever been in a situation, or maybe you're in one now, where you can identify with the struggles and the the difficulties and the trials of these ancient people, people who just like us were called by the name of God to be separate from the world and dedicated their lives unto God? Can you identify? If so, you understand that it's difficult sometimes. And whether what you're going through is a result of sin or what you're going through is just a result of being alive, there is hope. There is a solution. It's the same that was given by Joel. It's the same that was given by Peter. The first preacher on Pentecost called out for Joel's prophecy as the basis for entry into the church, the New Testament church, God's church, and set the pattern for all who would follow. Just as Joel called in Joel 2, and Peter preached in Acts 2, repent, call in the name of the Lord in baptism, and be filled with God's precious Holy Spirit. That was his hope. That's our hope. Thank God for life and hope. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord to help us to live in light of that glorious hope. Jesus, I thank you for this glorious hope you have given us. I thank you, God, for the privilege to look into Joel's life and to see that everything he went through and dealt with, there even amidst all of it, there was still hope. You still offered promise. Thank you, God, for the promise you give us in Acts 2. Thank you for this sweet salvation you have promised us. I do pray, help us to live in light of this wonderful hope, to live our lives in light of this glorious hope, and to share it with others. Anybody who's listening to this podcast, if they have never yet been born again, repented of their sins, been baptized in Jesus' name, or filled with your spirit, I pray, God, draw them to that place where they will take those steps to be born again, to be saved, to live in the light of this glorious, beautiful hope. I pray these things. And give honor and thanks to you for every one of them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in and following along, studying through God's Word for Life. As mentioned before, we have an exciting new line of curriculum that is coming out in the fall 2021. It is called God's Word for Life, aptly named. And you can find more out about it and see previews of it at godswordforlife.faith. You'll really enjoy it. The content, the design, excellent. Next week, For the August 8th, 2021 lesson, we're going to take a look at Stay in the Minor Prophets and take a look at Micah chapter 6 and 7, and we're going to study the God of our salvation. I'm looking forward to studying that with you, and always look forward to learning from and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.